Hello, my friends. Welcome back to The Conversation, the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. In this week's episode, I'm with Dan and Adrian. This is our second installment in the conflict resolution series that we're doing. There's going to be five episodes in this series. Last week, we, last week we talked about hugging the cactus. I hope that was pretty uncomfortable for you. That's kind of the point. This week, we're talking about getting high. Yes, we're going to soothe all that discomfort by getting high on the podcast this week. Not really. We're just going to get some elevation above the conflict uh, so that we can have a different perspective of the breakdown. We're going to come back down with a strategic view of what's actually happening, not necessarily what we make up about what's happening. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the conversation this week. Let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Conversation, the Naked Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. We have a great conversation. Well, I don't know if it's great yet. I'm, I'm open to the idea that it's great. Uh, we're, aiming. we're aiming for great. <laughs> we're aiming for great. You can let us know if we, uh, if we got there or not. Um, but uh, my name is Chad. I'm here with Dan Takini, Adrian Kaler. And uh, we've got a few people jumping on here already watching live on Facebook. So if you're listening to this as a podcast, just know we also broadcast these live. So we can take some, some questions and have a real conversation around what people are hearing, around what we're saying. Um, and that's been a valuable resource for us in these conversations up, to, up, and, up until now. So um, today we're talking about getting high. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. Should I finish that sentence? Uh, uh, getting high so that we can gain a strategic perspective. Uh, as we think about breakdown, as we think about even, it doesn't even necessarily have, I mean, we didn't talk about this context of it, but it doesn't even necessarily even have to be in breakdown when we're, when we're stuck, when we're, um, you know, there's a lot of different situations where it pays to get above the situation and get a view from the top so that we can see more um, and, and get a strategic perspective. And it's it's incredibly powerful and, and available to us if we're willing to do a few things. Uh, and, and that's what we want to have the conversation. Uh, that's what today's conversation is about. How do we get high? How do we get above the situation? Um, detach, unplug, all of those sort of things so that we can get a strategic view and a plan together uh, around what's what's actually happening. Get connected to reality is, a, is another big part of this as well. Um, so welcome to the conversation. Let's, let's dive right in. Gentlemen, as you think about this idea of giving getting a, a, a different perspective, I'd love to maybe let's let's get a little personal first if that's okay are there are there recent moments or or patterns of times that you find yourself stuck in the conversation in a place that you're you're uh, you have been unable or unwilling to get above it and get a different perspective it's a curveball i i know for me I know for me, I was just having a conversation with uh, with one of my friends on Facebook, actually, about um, how I get stuck in this a lot with my marriage. Um, and thinking that I know Katie, my wife, 
to the point where I don't need to learn about her any longer. <laughs> and, um, and then I always, not always, I often am surprised with how much I can learn about her still. And that becomes exciting. That becomes invigorating. That's one thing that I've noticed. And we talked about this yesterday in one of our team meetings is that when somebody's willing to jump into this process, there's a, there's a reinvigoration, there's a re-energy, re-energizing that happens in the relationship, in the team, whatever, whatever it is we're talking about. Um, and in their mission that allows them to like regenerate this energy. Right. So, um, if, if something's not coming up for you, that's fine. Um, oh, no. Plenty. how many examples do you want? Just <laughs> one last hour. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's see. So what we're talking about is at least for me, as I, as I think about this, watching what type of, well, and when I note the frustration, frustration comes from some type of relationship to what's happening. That's for me, one of the guiding principles, like the frustration comes from the way I see myself and how I see myself next to, or aligned with, or in front of, or behind or underneath, or taken over by, or in charge of like all that, all those prepositions. And that's all relationship language to say, which is my way of describing how I see myself and what I think this thing is doing, what I think it's doing to me or like that. So, I mean, even, even before, I mean, a very silly example would be, um, I was two minutes late to jump on to join you guys. And part of all of a sudden my daughter who loves me didn't want to part with me. I didn't want me to come up here alone. You wanted to come with me. Now that can be a loving notion. It is a loving notion. It's wonderful. But all of a sudden now it's a threat to me because now I'm late now that, and that's bothersome to me. I like to be places on time. Um, and now all of a sudden the thing that she's giving me that's love all of a sudden now I'm relating to it. Like it's a problem for me. And this, this little girl, this four-year-old darling little girl um, that I would run into traffic for, all of a sudden is now a problem. And that's right. I mean, that's just the shift, right? That is the, I'm plugged into now what this, what her thing is to me. And now all of a sudden it's a problem for me instead of, you know, I wasn't elevated enough, right? I wasn't, I wasn't, I couldn't get above it enough to, to do, to be able to see how to help my, help myself get what I needed to get done and help her get what she needed, which is just, she's going to miss me. And I miss her too. And I could get on her level and connect with her and also stand for the fact of me doing this. You know, it's like these competing interests. And if I don't feel like I can get what I need to get done, um, then all of a sudden, even something that's lovely a minute before becomes a problem now because of how threatened I am. Hmm. I'm using extreme language and people might think that's really weird. But for me, it's really what's happening for me internally. It's like, you need to get out, beat it, kid. Yeah, I love this. I love that you put language to that. That was that was where I wanted to go next is before we talk about getting elevated and above and what does that mean? What is it? What happens within ourselves? Uh, what do we perceive as a threat that doesn't often allow us or uh, we don't see the option of getting above it and disconnecting from it? Like what keeps us stuck in? It's like it's like being in the foxhole, right? I mean, um, we know there's a threat. 
we can't see what the threat is and we often can't strategically make a plan because we are tunnel vision in the foxhole, not seeing what's going on because we need to get what we need to get. Well, yeah, the idea, it's a relationship. And I'll specifically, I'm thinking about a business deal I, I was involved in and um, we were restructuring some debt for some VCs in a, in a transaction it was a restructuring of a company. And the company that, the VC company that, they had then they had basically gone off their their kind of sweet their their what they liked to invest in they went off into a tech field they were a bio a biotech company they went off into tech they wanted to get out of tech so they were going to cut the they were going to descend they were going to sell this company and close this tranche and the company they were selling was trying to stay alive they had hired me to see how do we keep this going without being dissolved right and so for them it was extremely emotional they were victimized by the fact that these guys were coming to basically going to sell the company and they were going to have to, they were going to lose their position. And, and they had not performed over the three or four, over the four years prior to that at all. And, and a lot of it was due to, or they didn't, weren't able to adjust to the, the tech bubble busting, bursting, and then 9-11 and like that. And so they lost all their, their uh, all of their stock options. Because they basically couldn't perform, so they came to me and said, "What can you do about it? You know, I said, do you think there's something we can do?" And the first thing I, I said is, "We got to get some altitude," which means they're not doing it to you. Mm. They're not doing it to you. They're doing what's best for them to get it. They're, they're you've got to understand their interest. And if we can understand their interest, and we can, and you can get off of unplug from these are evil, bad people that are all that are trying to hurt you, then you'll be able to find a way to come together. Probably we might, we maybe we won't, and in which case we lose the company. But if we're going to really look and see if there's a chance of doing this, we got to look at them as uh, people who have interests who are trying to negotiate for their best interest. That's all they're doing. And so, you know, first thing is unplug from the victim story and ask yourself is what's really going on here? And so that's what we did. And what was interesting is we not only found a way to salvage the company, but we ended up turning it around and five, six years later, we sold it for $40 million. So it went from, you know, broke to, you know, in six years, seven years, a $40 million turnaround. But it started with, and what we came up with was really interesting because what we came up with to resolve the break, breakdown or to kind of make, to buy the company back and, and very uh, pennies on the dollar had a lot to do with understanding what we would do if they wouldn't sell it to us. We decided, well, if they didn't sell it to us, we had a whole plan. And that plan became part of the negotiation. So when they saw we were going to do that and that they could save, they wouldn't lose as much money if they sold it to us at this price. They would lose a million and a half less. They they went with it, but we didn't. We found those nuances mm. by first um, with, with getting out of defense mm. and, or attack, and just saying what is going on here, and right. what do we really want to have happen, and and so we're we, that unplugging from the victim. It's like I don't know if you've ever been drugged under a bus, but 
when you're a victim, you're a bus. I've never experienced that. If you aren't asking that rhetorically and really taking a survey, I have not yet. <laughs> well, I mean, if possible in the future, I'll try. I usually try to stay away from buses. I call it to get drunk under the bus when you're at effect. You're basically being run by the circumstances. So you've lost all altitude. You're not above the bus, you're under the bus. Yeah. And you're pulling along, right? Yeah. And, and I, that can be taken in any domain. I mean, yeah. the minute you're a victim, the minute external circumstances are determining who you are, then or who I am, then I'm plugged in in a way that if I want to get some altitude, I've got to let go of what I think I'm going to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Rise above and see and, and think what is going on here. Yeah. It's an interesting thing because a lot of us like to do probabilistic thinking. And it's a great thing to do when the facts are stable, when they're stationary. Like that's what's beautiful about physics or astrophysics. You know, you can shoot a rocket from here to Mercury and have it land six and a half years later right on the point you're aiming at. But we can't predict our own economy. We can't predict an epidemic. We can't predict a million things. Why? Well, because we it's a different form of – there's too many variables. There's too much of what you don't know you don't know involved. So if you don't go – if you don't – the inquiry is to start with what's going on here, then we can't calibrate and get altitude on what's there. Instead, we're reacting to what we're afraid is there or what we hope is there. And now we've lost our altitude. We've, we're out of touch to a large degree with what's really going on. And so getting that altitude, getting high, if you will, involves unplugging, if you will, untethering yourself from what you need in the outcome to see what you have and then seeing what's possible given what you have. Yeah. Well, it makes me think, Dan, I mean, um, what did you say earlier? The... You know what do we want here? I mean that's a that's a I, I mean I think usually that's the that's a governing um, that's, that's a, whatever the answer to that question is like what do I want is usually a very big governing principle that really frames up how we are in the moment and that and it also I'm thinking about conversations I am in with myself or with others around what do I think I need even to be present in this moment right because some people especially when I, I get on, I start listening very intently, especially whenever a client starts to talk about safety and psychological safety in particular. And all these, because all, all these parameters, essentially what we're saying is, what is the circumstances? What do I need to already feel in the environment in order for me to be fully expressive, which is an interesting way to live. Um, but it's just, it's, it's, it's I'm, you know, in some ways it's being articulate about what I'm not willing to do. Um, but it is it is for me, it's always at least I'm listening for where the victim might be showing up in that because it's all of a sudden like I can't because it's not. It's a bit defensive, too. Right. I sure. mean, you're on defense your whole life. Yeah. Now, and I and, and, you know, so to play the other side, like to fight for, um, you know, kindness, to fight for respect, to fight for these things, compassion, all these types of things that are that are that are there in the context of what people typically call safety. I think that's worth doing. It's worth fighting for those things. But to set up a to set up a scenario where I'm only willing to be here if those things already exist, that's a, you know, it's a smaller world. Mm. That, you know, if 
if I'm saying it's got to be like that before I can actually be fully expressive, I think people give up on the, they give up their power quickly and they give up their, the potential of many moments, potential of many relationships. If it's got to, you know, I need essentially the red carpet laid out for me to walk down the street instead of saying, Oh, I, I can actually be the one that lays the red carpet. Yeah. Well, you know? and yeah. And, and change, and, change always starts with a downward spiral. Always. What do you mean by that? Yeah. What is that? It's a, uh, it's a pattern. In other words, if you're going to move from one state to a new state, the old state has to die. So it it has to dis disintegrates. That's why we're change always looks dangerous because what was has to come down. So it has to get worse before it gets better. Hmm. That's the part. If we're trying to keep it from getting worse, rather than looking into it and saying, "Well, what do we really have here? Right. What is it that's really going on?" I I know it, I'm being told by you know, by Chad or by Adrian and by the press, but is that what I'm seeing? What do I see here? And am I willing to speak what I see? And then Chad speaks what he sees and Adrian's, and then we see, we get a bigger view. But if what Adrian or Chad sees is personal or I can't hear it, then I'm not gonna be able to get any altitude because it's the combination of all of us, let's say in this deal, that, that makes up the reality, or at least a large part of the reality. And then there's, of course, the physical reality, but, but those are the things that have to be accounted for. So censoring your information or trying to block you out because you don't think like I do, just produces, starts to send me under the bus because all I can hear and see is what I already know. So that's a, that's a big deal, man. That takes some, that takes some discipline. Every, every, uh, executive I worked with, including myself, how many times it takes to, to like, hey, wait a minute, what's really going on here? I know what I'm afraid is going on here, or I know what I'm, the big one is, I know I'm hoping is going on here. I get so gassed up on what I think, what could be going on here rather than what is. I can miss very important details that could be problems down the road, but I don't want to see them because they make me feel like what's possible is not going to occur. And there's a lot of things that are, it swings a lot of different ways. That's why it takes some rigor, you know, it takes some time. Yeah. I think I, this reminds me, Dan, especially when you were talking about that negotiation deal you were talking about and really getting connected to what is instead of what we're making up about what is, it reminds me of a story that happened to me just like recently. I'll tell it really quick uh, if you'll indulge me, but my wife and I, uh, ride our bikes to the grocery store to get groceries. And <laughs> the other night uh, we rode our our bikes to the grocery store. We were just going to pop in real quick and I forgot our bike lock. And about, we noticed by, we noticed about the time we were almost at the grocery store. And I, and I said, you know, no big deal. We're not, we'll just, we'll be, we'll be in for a second. We'll be right back out. Um, and uh, we park our bikes out in front of the grocery store say hi to the, to the cart lady who was gathering the carts and, uh, you know, had a little joking conversation with us. So she acknowledged that those were our bikes. We were parking them. We were going into the grocery store and we're in there shopping, throwing things into our cart. And she comes bolting into the grocery store. Hey, some guy just got on your bike and he's riding away. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, you know, I went out to look and I could see him on the other end of the parking lot on my wife's bike and she was following me. And my first reaction was like, ah, no big deal. It's a pretty cheap bike. I'm, I don't really. And then she said, Hey, my purse is in that 
in that in that basket in the back of it and like something snapped in me and i just started running <laughs> and running after this guy on my wife's bike shouting through the parking lot trying to make a ruckus so that somebody would hear me and stop him um but i i noticed something that as i as i realized what was in the basket and what i was doing and running after him i was angry at i got angry at the offense like he offended me how could he do this he took, to you? he took you right there in front of you yeah right there in front of me he took this thing from me it's not his i worked for it i paid for it how offensive how violating and i and luckily <laughs> luckily i had a good probably 5 to 6 minutes of running my ass off to really process what was going on and by the time I actually met up with him, a few other people heard me yelling and jumped in and helped me out and finally cornered him. And he gave up the bike easily and kind of walked off. And um, by the time I got to where they had cornered him with the bike, I got the bike and I went, I went after him. Because by that time, I was like, I need to have a conversation with this guy. <laughs> this guy, and, and by that time for me, it was like, this guy has a need that I don't understand. I've never been there. I've never been in a place where I felt I needed to take the property of somebody else just to get where I'm going or where I, where I need to go or the money I need to make or whatever. You know, and it became very clear to me that my, the conversation I wanted to have with him was, man, how can I help? What's wanted and needed to, so that you don't have, you don't feel like you need to do this again. Hmm. And we, you know, and he wasn't real open to the conversation, unfortunately. Um, but it was, I share that because it was, that's what happened as I was, <laughs> I was, I was running after this guy. I was able to elevate myself above what was, what I was making up about what was happening. I was making up that it was personal. Yeah. And you, I remember you telling me that you, you went running after him and your bike was right there, right? Like, yeah. like your reaction caused you to, the offense caused you to lose your altitude. So you, that's somewhat being drug under the bus right, for five oh, It's a hundred percent. And I left resources on the table, right? Yeah. That second bike, my bike sitting right there on the rack could have been a resource. I would have been caught up to him in no time. Mm -hmm. And I would have been riding right alongside of him, talking to him, you know? Uh, but I completely spaced that resource because I was so caught up in the offense. Yeah. Um, and what I made up, it was all about me, you know, all of that kind of stuff. It's just an, it, for me, it was such an eye opening experience around this idea that, and, and it, it just came, kept coming to my mind. It's not personal, man. It's not personal. <laughs> to remind yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty incredible. So as we think about these situations and we apply this, what we're talking about to a team and to a founder, how often founders, I mean, talk about our daily coaching calls. How often do founders find themselves in the foxhole, offended? Well, I mean, that's really common because the most common victim story is, I've, you know, because it's true, uh, entrepreneurs, founders, are they sacrifice a lot. They their time, their energy, their focus, 
you know, that's why, you know, and they're the last one to get paid and the first one in the office, right? So the tendency is to throw yourself into very easily. I, I think it's pretty natural. You know, it's ancient. It's the woman you gave me. It's the circumstance. It's the, you know, it's whatever. But but it's, these guys don't appreciate me. They, I do all this for them and then they, they don't appreciate it. They want to give me feedback. I don't want to hear the feedback. I don't, you know, well, how dare they? Don't they know what I've been through? What I, you know, so it's really hard to, to get some altitude because if everything becomes a statement about their appreciation towards me, I've now made the purpose of the business me versus what the mission is that we're there to accomplish. And when that happens, nobody's good enough. There's never enough because, I mean, how are you going to make, you know, how is anybody ever going to be able to compensate me for the sacrifices I feel I've made to the business? It's just a racket. It's right. never going to happen. Shakedown, because and they'll lay it on the, the, the you. It's like, do you know how much I give up for you and this and that, and I can't get you to do this? Well, pretty soon people get tired of hearing that, right? And they won't bring things up because they they they'll feel either shameful because of all that was done for them, or they'll feel um, attacked and that there's no room for their ideas, so they'll resentfully go along, and and a lot of times. They'll end up finding other jobs and, and ghost people and that kind of stuff. There's all kinds of impact for not connecting or getting some altitude on what's going on. And I think the most the, the most powerful way to get altitude is to understand all the interests that are involved with the team. Like, and as are those personal interests individually? Like, is Adrian's personal interest, is Chad's personal interest, if we're on a team, lined up with what we're mission is about? And will that mission serve their personal interest in a way that's going to have them grow, you know, and have them want to be participating? That's an altitude conversation. You got to you got to get above the. And to do that, I've got to put down my agenda for what I want of the people to understand how I can how we can connect. And if they don't, then it's actually better for them to move on or find another you know way to to express those interests, right? To connect with them. Yeah. Uh, what I mean, this is um, the first thought that hits me is, I mean, this is why empathy is actually strategic. Yeah. Right. Because, I mean, people will always operate by their uh, in order to get either to, in order to get what they want or to avoid what they don't want. That's what human beings do. We can't not do that. Um, even the heroic, even sacrificing is a part of that. Right. I'm going to sacrifice now to get paid later. And, uh, and, and the desire to avoid what I don't want. Neurologically, they say it's five times greater than the desire to get something you do want. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. So that's why, I mean, a lot of times I think, I mean, uh, at least most of most of the people we work with are like hard nosed, determined, you know, get something done. Um, very t like task, uh, task oriented folks get something done. Yeah. Um, you know, and then so sometimes the idea of empathy can just, yeah, whatever. We'll get to that someday. But it's actually, it's it's tactical. It's strategic well, to, to look at it with like to, to jump into the conversation from someone else's perspective. That's the way to find them. Um, and, I, and to agree with your point around most folks are wondering why people aren't like, I mean, most founders that I work with are wondering why people don't, why their people don't see it the way they see it. 
right? And and they, uh, but they don't actually say it that way. They say, why aren't they doing what I'm doing? But they don't get that they're not doing what they're doing or delivering how they're delivering because of the way that they're seeing it. Yeah, or why don't they care the way I care? That's right. So it all gets back to this, you know, this these beliefs and these the conversations that are going on behind the surface, which is what you're getting to, Dan. Yeah. Um, and so we get they get stuck in the reason why aren't they? Instead of I wonder why they are. Yeah, they gets tend to get stuck in the symptom. Right. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. Versus. And then if you ask, well, what's going on for them? Well, I don't have time for all that psychobabble, right? Which is what another word of saying is I don't want to hear what's going on with them. So I just want them to do what I want them to do. Yeah. And, and people are always doing what they think is best. Yeah. So well, it's the, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, it's this. Um, they don't want to know because they're busy judging what they're seeing. Yeah. Right. It's like, no, they should. They sh- and it comes out like shoulds. They shouldn't be doing that. This this. Why do I have to? You know, it's all that the, the, the judgment about what's happening is stopping them from actually getting the conversation that would work because, you know, their focus is on what's wrong and why it's wrong and whose fault it is instead of what's needed what's happening, what's needed, and how do I help? What's the conversation that will connect those dots? Most of the time, right? It's that, you know, it's, we, uh, we were just, I was, we were talking like before, I think before we started around, I mean, for me, what a big deal to see, I don't know, this was eight, 10, eight years ago. Um, whenever I was telling you guys a story about when I first realized how much of like a moralistic view I had, which is, coaching language about that as I was operating the world, I didn't know it, but I was naturally throwing things in categories of this is the right way. This is the wrong way. This is what need. This is what people should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. This is good. This is bad. This is healthy. This is unhealthy. Like throwing those things in those categories. And, you know, there's championing the stuff that's in the things that I define as good, healthy, helpful, and then chastising, judging, rejecting, resisting all the things in these categories about what other people are doing. And that type of lens actually will lend, will lend towards like resisting and, and polarizing and, and disconnecting. If I've got a judgment for what somebody else is doing, I'm already attached to that judgment. And so I, I can't get elevation because I'm here fighting what's wrong with them instead of, to this point, getting elevation saying, huh, that's interesting. That's what they're up to. I wonder why they're up to it. Why, yeah. Right. <laughs> How does that make sense to them? Like I'm here, at least I've got a story about I'm here doing this. I think they ought to also be seeing this and then doing this with me. They're not here. Instead of judging them, I wonder why they're not here. Why are they there? First off, where are they and what are they up to? Most people don't want to have to your point, Dan. Most people don't want to have that because they don't they feel like maybe that conversation is meant to be in a therapist's office or something. It's not. It's actually just it's it's a loc- it's a uh, a way to go locate someone. Hey, I know. I'm doing this. You seems like you're doing this. So tell me about it. How do we get aligned? Yeah. We seem disconnected right now. Well, you know, that's the first, there's a, there's five biological filters, which I don't want to go all into all of them, but the first one is thinking the world sees it like thinking everybody sees, feels and thinks what I do. 
So naturally, and it's kind of what, I, what one neuroscientist calls biological arrogance. And it's the idea that you, that the world should see the thing like I do. And if they don't, then there must be something wrong, bad, or broken with them. And therefore, which, which ignites the shame principle, right? Yeah. Well, Adrian, if you had any brains, you'd see it like I do, right? Now, if you, you contest that, then you're really stupid, right? I mean, it's like, so mm-hmm. anything I can do to get you to see my point of view, including shame you into it, versus I wonder what he's seeing that has him aligned the way he does. Like, maybe he's seeing something I don't, or maybe he's aligned with something that isn't going to work, so we better know that. Now, there's a million different avenues or, you know, there's a bunch of different branches of thought, but if I think you see the world the way I do, then I just write you off as wrong, bad, or broken. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the conversation. That's Now I'm going to get drugged under the bus of victimhood because you're going to continue to act congruently with the way the world occurs for you, and I'm going to neglect it till it actually intervenes in your ability to deliver. And then, then I'm going to get mad at you for not delivering. And we're going to stay stuck in a conversation about the symptom. Yeah. Right? Tools and tips, go back and do this. But until your, your mindset, the way you view it shifts, you're going to produce over and over again the same thing, just different circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Most I, I was um, – there's, there's two sides to this too. I mean, because usually I think, at least my, in my view, like when we talk about playing the victim um, and we, you know, there's a difference between like being victimized and then playing the victim. We're talking about playing the victim. Yeah. Um, and there's two sides to it. And there's the there's the there's the one that plays the victim and gets small. This is at least what I want to put out there as a conversation. There's those that play the victim, and get small. There's those that play the victim and get big. And I'm thinking about because part of it, I just watched this video of a guy that I respect and he was talking about workplace bullying. And I, I don't naturally connect or even enjoy the conversation around bullying when it comes to adults. Um, I think it, anyway, I've got lots of, like we could do, I could do a whole hour on why I don't think that's a helpful frame, but I think it, it connects here where I think like the, the people that feel victimized and get big in the language I'm using, get strong, are like those people that others might call bullies, right? Like now all of a sudden I'm going to be aggressive in order to protect something or to essentially passive aggressively walk out my anger towards you or my victimy or, or like how I'm feeling like I'm out of control. Well, now I got to compensate by being over controlling. So just want to put that out there for a second of like, if you're feeling like you're taken advantage of, you're feeling like something's happening to you, you might be the you might get, be the one that goes smaller. You might be the one that goes hyper controlling. I know I can do that. Like if I feel like things aren't going my way, I can power up in order to regain my own stature. If I feel like I'm being taken advantage of or being disrespected, it can happen like in an instant. That's that's the troll position. That's yeah. right. I you know there's a great story in, you know with all this that's going on about race right now. There's a great story about altitude that I. I heard in a training, I, I had a training once I did in Oklahoma many years ago. And there was about there were 60 people in the training. There was about 33 blacks and 27 whites. And during the training, and I got permission from this guy to share this, and I've written in my books, but I'll never forget the altitude. 
he stands up and, and confesses that he was the grandmaster of the Ku Klux Klan in the train. His name is Johnny Clary. And he was confessing. He wanted to confess it. He wanted to let them know. This, this beautiful black woman gets up and she walks up to him. And she says, Mr. Clary, what made you want to do that? Like, what happened? Like, how did, and then what made you turn around? And he tells this story, it gives me goosebumps, about what happened to him. He grew up in a fairly racist home, really racist home. And his, and his, and his dad had made derived, you know, really prejudiced remarks about blacks all his life. And so when he was younger and he heard about the white supremacist, it seemed like his dad would be proud of him if he went and did that. So he went and became a white supremacist. And during the time, his dad got more and more depressed, was an alcoholic, used to beat him. And eventually one day he comes home and he sees his father put a gun to his head and he see, as he walks in, watches his father kill himself. Devastates him. He goes, and by this time, he's now the high, at the highest level in his area. He's running the Ku Klux Klan. During the time that he was the, the, the grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan of his area, whatever that title was, they had, there's a, there a famous uh, preacher, black man named Wade Watts. And Wade, they, they were burning a cross on Wade Watts's lawn. And he tells the story that he walked out, Wade walks, walk, Watts walks out on the lawn and he says to the, the guys in the hood, he knows Johnny Clary's there. And he goes, Johnny, do you guys want to come in and talk about this? We could have some lemonade and like that. And they beat this man to the edge of his life. And when Cleary has this breakdown after he sees his father kill himself, all he can think of is, why did Watts come out there and do that? Didn't he know we were going to kill him? Couldn't get it out of his head. So as he starts to go through his own process of recovering and, and re repenting and kind of coming out of that whole mindset, when he comes out of the hospital, he goes to see Mr. Watts. And he says to Watts, and he sits down with him, he says, I, I need to understand, why did you come do that, right? And so Watts says to him, when I was a young boy, my best friend, when I was a little boy, about eight years old, seven years old, my best friend was a white kid. And we played all the time together. And one day, this white boy came over and he said, come over from my house for dinner. And I went to his house for dinner. And I, I we were having a great time and they, they were going to sit down and eat. And they said, I had a special seat. It was back on the porch and they gave me this food and I was eating and this dog was jumping up and down on the porch. And I ran out and said, hey, you know, why is that dog jumping up and down on the porch? And they said, well, that's because you're eating out of his plate. And he said, I, I ran out of that house. I ran all the way home and I got home and I was really upset. I, I hated my friend. I never wanted to see him again. And I, I ran in and I started crying and telling my grandfather. And about halfway through the story, my grandfather said, well, wait, um, you remember a long time ago, like last September, just I guess it was in the summer, last September, I was really sick with a fever. He goes, oh, yes, Pop, I, I remember you, you were really sick and you were, you were crazy sick, like delirious. He goes, yeah. And what was I like? He goes, well, you were mean. You called me names. You called everybody names. You threw stuff at people. You were violent. And he goes, did you hate me then? He goes, well, no, Pop, you had a fever. He said, well, that white boy and his parents have a fever. And if you hate them when they come out of their fever, you, you won't know how to take care of them. 
And he said, from that moment on, I saw the rest of my life about going out and helping people get out of the fever. And that's why I went out that long, because I thought for just one moment, you might be ready to. But now here you are. Right? That's altitude. Mm. That's getting above it, right? That's, and I, that story stuck with me. I, I was, the room was in tears. It was amazing. This guy was, could see that somebody who cared enough about him to, to see that he was in a fever was there for him when he came out of it. And by the way, Cleary ends up taking Wade Watts' ministry. And after Watts dies, he, he mentors under him and then runs his nonprofit. And Watts was involved, Wade Watts was involved with Martin Luther King. He was the, the first NAACP leader in Oklahoma. And, and Clary came up underneath him and, and was his successor wow. until he died in 2003. It's pretty amazing. Wow. But, but I mean, that's, you know, you think about altitude. You think right. about he, instead of getting offended, his father, grandfather helped him unplug from the offense because all it's going to do is produce violence, right? And, it, and at some point, to stop violence or to stop a breakdown of any kind, it requires that kind of altitude. Like, wait, what's really going on here? Yeah. There's, um, as we talk about getting some altitude in that story, there's, it keeps coming up for me over and over again that there are some mindsets and some ways of being that need to be left on the ground in order for us to get up there. That's and right. I would love to hear just reactions from both of you as in, in your own personal experience, in those that you've coached. What did we, what did they have to be willing to leave? What do we have to be willing to leave behind in order to gain some altitude? Well, no, go ahead. You go first. Well, I, I was actually just thinking about this morning and thinking about the, the, the public discourse at the moment. And, you know, it's got it's got to be where it is now. Um, anger is necessary. And, and, you know, I think people are finding new ways to, to attach themselves into the conversation. That's what I'd say. Um, but, uh, but as I was thinking about it, even I was wondering, I guess, this morning, I was thinking about the racist and anti-racist, that whole conversation and thinking about, I wonder what's next. Because, you know, and here's my answer to your question is like, the, the conversation needs to be left on the ground, in my view, is and where we naturally start is what's wrong and how do I stop what's wrong? Like that's the usually the first conversation. How do I stop the pain? How do I stop the injustice? How do I do that? And that's an essential conversation. And it, I think it naturally comes up first. What are we fighting against? I think the elevation conversation, which is what, what Mr. Watts was fighting for, was it was was in is what is he fighting for? Right. Which is like, what are we fighting? So it's not what are we against, but what are we fighting for? Now, anytime we're fighting for something, we are clear about what doesn't work, what will contend with what the mission is. But the if you get elevation, the clarity is around is around the new focal point around what's what is being generated. Right. So, so that so it's a different focus. Like so on the ground, it's like, what are we fighting against? when you get elevation, it's clarity and conviction around what we're fighting for. I think that's, that's what I was thinking about this morning about the racist, anti-racist stuff. And then actually, so what is the antithesis of that? Like what is, what could be there that would make both of those frameworks, if somebody's racist or not racist, what would, what, what could be there in culture? What, what could be, 
the driving, motivating, clarifying, you know, all that, like what could be happening in culture where the even the racist, anti-racist sentiment starts to dissipate because we're somewhere else. We're somewhere new together. Yeah. Well, you know, I would say along those lines, if you think about conversations is what, what am I unwilling to hear? Like, am I willing to hear everything or am I only willing to hear what I want to hear? Yeah. Right. And, and I think the key thing that needs to be left on the ground is my need to have it look the way I need it. I want it to look. It's yeah. good. It is. And, and that allows me, and, and I naturally want to hear what I want. I want to hear the things that agree with my point of view, or because I'm always, we always always have a point of view. So can I leave my point of view? Can I just let it sit there and listen? Do I have to, or do I have to keep reemphasizing it? Yeah, my language for that, Dan, is like uh, we have to put down what we know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I well, I, I yeah, put down. I like have to. Like, I don't have to prove what I know. I right. Can, you can set it aside for a moment. It's, it's, like, it's going to be, be there when you come back down. It's never going away. <laughs> and, and it might change a bit if you let yourself get the altitude. If you unplug from, then it'll probably start to change if you unplug. And when and I notice that when people are plugged in, I, if I just listen, they tend to unplug a lot more. Mm -hmm. I'm just, okay, got it, check. Like the only time I can't listen is when I have to make my point, is right. when I have to prove my point. But if what I I, I am, when I, what's so for me, I if it's so, I can hear, and I want to hear where it's weak or where it's blind or where it's not what I'm missing to add to the picture. So unplugging is a... It's a skill and it takes time. It takes, it, I don't mean, it takes character to go, okay, I can put that down. I, if you're married, you know what I mean. I mean, how often, how, I mean, I marvel, I marvel at how little time it takes my wife for me to interrupt her. <laughs> it's like, no, nope, that's not how it is. No, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I mean if you notice that, I, I really do. If people can't listen, if only their point of view can be said, I can listen, and I, I'm just not going to change my mind. In fact, it's going to position me even more. Yep. But I, I, I don't have to. Have, I don't have to say anything. But if somebody really wants to listen, then there's a lot of different points of view that can be included. A lot, you know. And and the ones that trigger us are the ones I'm most. I find to be most interesting. Like, you know, uh, to me, a bigot is not very persuasive in my book. I mean, it just doesn't do it for me. Yeah. I can listen to them all day long, but I'm like, it doesn't work. I'm not yeah. yeah. Another conversation I think about um, leaving on the ground is a shame conversation. Yeah. And Adrian, you touched on it uh, when, when we, I love, I love getting into the conversation with leaders when they say, uh, when the phrase comes up, I shouldn't have to. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's one of my, I love that phrase. It's like, we shouldn't have to have this conversation. <laughs> yeah. It's such a hot phrase for me because I know there's so much there for us to explore. Uh, and, and that's a conversation for me that when I've been successful at getting elevation around something, um, that is not part of the narrative. I shouldn't have to. Yeah. yeah. Well, usually my experience, even when I might think that is like the, the, 
And it's worth always wondering, just as a tip for anybody listening, to ask yourself, what's the purpose of my communication? Right. So when I ask my, when I ask the question, what's the purpose of believing that I shouldn't have to? It's probably one one thing that comes up to me is I don't want to go talk about it. So if I don't want to talk about it, I ought to believe that I shouldn't have to talk about it and make them wrong. I'm right. They're wrong. So I get to I get to avoid if I'm making them wrong for needing to talk to me about it. Right. So that's the purpose of the complaint is to let me off the hook from actually being called into what I would call leadership. Like, oh, I need to go engage in this thing and guide the convo. You know, there's this whole this whole convo, this this whole time we've been talking, I've been thinking about this roomy quote that I've loved for a long time. I actually heard it at a wedding once. Um, and um, anyway, it, it, you guys probably know Rumi or you've heard of him. He was a uh, um, poet. Yeah, yeah, poet, a Middle Eastern poet, um, Sunni. Yeah, Sunni poet. Anyway, here's here's the quote, which is people can check him out if you don't know Rumi. Here, this is from uh, I don't even know what year this was, but anyway, out here's the here it is out beyond the ideas of wrongdoing and right doing. There's a field, and I'll meet you there. When the soul and he's philosophical here, but when the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. That's good. Isn't that great? So it's a little ethereal for us, but it's like, you know, but I, I dig the idea. And actually I actually talk about a ton in my relationship with Ali. It's like, OK, hold on. We're in a, we're arguing now about who's right and wrong. Can we actually get in the next conversation, which is like what we want? Can we mm-hmm. leave this space and get into that next one about actually what we what we both really want instead of now fighting over who's right or wrong about who made it wrong? Um, Eileen says to me, how much more do I need to pay? Right now, so we can get on to what <laughs> I love that shorthand. <laughs> That's great. You, you paid enough. <laughs> yeah, the phrase that comes to me when in those situations is, "Well, I can I can be right or I can be connected." Yep. And uh, I just noticed for myself, speaking personally, whenever I'm trying to convince somebody that I'm right. I'm completely disconnected to who they are, where they're at, and what they're what they're trying to to bring into the conversation, the relationship, and the world. Yep. Yeah. And what you know, what upsets me isn't what somebody says. What upsets me is what I tell myself about what they say. That's right. Because all of us have had people shout horrible things to us and not let it bother us because they didn't mean anything to us. But, you know, when somebody shouts something to you and you get all crazy, it's because you, you're probably holding something on yourself. Mm-hmm. But you're, it's what I'm making up about what's being said to me. Right. So, as we start to round the corner here on this episode, I'm interested to know how uh, to have a little bit of conversation. How do we as leaders, as founders, CEOs, how do we invite a team member or our entire team member? Uh, or our entire team to get some elevation on something. If there's conflict, if there's, uh, you know, stuckness, like what, what are some things that we can do to invite others into that conversation? Well, first off, if you're going to have a conversation about, let's say a breakdown, you've got to clearly identify the breakdown. What, and people have to agree Okay, that's a breakdown, and that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Right. That's the first thing. 
Because so often you might be arguing one upset breakdown and I might be arguing another, but we think we're arguing about the same thing. Mm, yeah. Right. And so it gets very circular. Right. So the first thing is, hey, what is it? Here it is. Now, yeah. what's an example? Now, once we agree on that, I, I want to give you an example. Right. One of the best ways to say this is what's not working. This doesn't at least I don't think it's working based on results. Right. Which is another thing. Like, is it not working psychologically is different than it's not working out. So it, something could be working well for you psychologically and not working out. I could really enjoy my job, my sales job, and not be selling a thing. That, that's a problem because it's not going to pay the rent and it's not going to keep you in that position long. And unless you learn what it takes, then, which means you're probably going to have to question some of the things that you're doing that you like so much, maybe the very things that are getting between you and what you want. Right? So, so being willing to hold yourself to results, being willing to get some altitude to it, right? Yeah. I mean, um, I'm with you on all those points and I'm thinking about, so getting, I mean, something that if, if people are brand, if people are new to this convo, they probably haven't heard us say this before where, you know, we, we talk, Eileen is one of the, I think might've first taught me this, you know, hard on the problem, soft on the person. Yeah. That's the, the and that's okay. If you look, Scott says here, Ray Dalio talks about clearly defining the problem, without blame, which is, that's one way to do it. It's like, I'm not going to blame you. Here's the problem. This is what we want to solve. Yes. Yeah. We it's not important to know whose fault it is. It's important to find out what it's going to take to resolve it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and, and everybody's attachment to that either problem or what's on the other side of the problem, like success. If we get through, like if we see the problem is like the is, is not like the issue, but the obstacle to, that's between us and what we say we want. You know, if people aren't willing to talk about it, you can tell they're not attached to the next thing. Well, and you don't want to talk about it if they haven't been willing to separate themselves from it. Like if you're taking it personal, then That's there's right. no, we're not going to get anywhere. Right? Yep. Yeah. If you just, you got to leave it alone until so you can make some invitations. But when people get elevated, they, their amygdala runs off of them. So you got to give them time to calm down. But, and, and eventually, like it, it's very true. Sometimes people won't calm down. Then you're in HR and you're writing them up and because, their they, their work is demonstrating that it isn't getting it done right. Yeah. So you you got to get people's attention to the problem somehow. Got to get clear about the problem. Yeah, yeah. But once you once you do get them unplugged and you've given them an example, then the next thing is you can you can own your own stuff. You can here's how I've contributed to this because if they're working for me, I'm part of the system. I help create this problem. Otherwise, it's my problem too. So yeah. how, like, here's how I've contributed. And a, a good accounting for that helps them see, well, will help people engage in and make it less personal because they can see I'm owning my part in it as well. Right. And so now, and then, and then I can let them know. The next thing is like, look, if this continues, let's talk about where this heads. What future are, is in this if we keep it up? But that usually starts to break things down. That for me and my personal experience with breakdowns, that um, taking ownership of my contribution to the breakdown 
has been the most effective uh, vehicle for an invitation for a more elevated conversation. Mm-hmm. Elevated meaning, you know, what we're talking about, getting above it. When, uh, if if I've got somebody I'm in conflict with that's really stuck on it, I know like that's almost like a secret weapon that I can that I can own and sincerely, absolutely a hundred percent sincerely take ownership of where I like where I contributed to the breakdown. More often than not, from my experience, that brings somebody right around to to owning theirs, and and then we can now have a conversation about what's next. Yeah, it, it certainly can. I mean, I've been in enough situations with staff members. If somebody's not willing to respond to that, you know, you got a pretty entrenched issue, and mm-hmm. don't. It's like one of those deals. Then the next thing is, don't let it go because it's coming back. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> It'll drive off as a Volkswagen and come back as a diesel. Yeah, <laughs> that is powerful. It's, it is powerful to start a conversation. It's like, hey, you know what? I've been avoiding this. Com- I've been avoiding a conversation for a while. Or, hey, I've been letting this thing go by and it's been bothering me, and I haven't had the guts to bring it up. Or, you know, any any way you can kind of tell on yourself, yeah. it's, it is disarming. And and it'll be it'll if anybody that does this regularly, it usually doesn't even land for the listener. That's my experience. When I when I'm thinking about my relationship with Ali, when I own it quickly, she forgets that I just owned it quickly, and she comes back. But you, I'm like, I know, I know. Remember how I started this conversation? I missed it. I totally blew it. And and it's just so it's it's just so. I'm going to say non-human. I mean, I what I mean is like it's not common to man or woman to like slow down and start the conversation about with with my own contribution of how the thing didn't work. Yeah. It's so not common. Um, but if it, beca- it can become a practice, especially as a leader, you want to build trust, do this. Yeah. It'll tell you, I mean, so much of the pain of, of like on the teams that we get connected to and in the minds of the leaders we work with, so much of the pain is psychological. Like it's about, how they are, how they're being treated, how the team is, how people are talking. A lot of this, when I say psychological, meaning so much of the energy of the organization is based on what people should and shouldn't be doing, what they should and shouldn't be saying, how they should and shouldn't be feeling, all that. Instead I can't of, talk about it because I'm too exhausted because yes. I'm so victimized I can't keep up with it. Yeah. Don't they know? Shouldn't they see? All that, all that, it's all just in that psychological bucket about all the thinking and feeling. And, 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 to, and to really, I can understand it too, because when you're in that place, because I've been there and you've yeah. been, it's really hard to believe that if you look into it in a way that would, if you unplug from it and you just looked at it and listened, that somehow it would work. It just feels like that's just going to bring more of what I don't want. Yeah. It's so counterintuitive. But if I actually do roll up my sleeves and give up the victim conversation at every level I can, yeah. new possibility does show up. But it's yeah. I got to be willing to, when I say unplug, let go of the way it's supposed to look, let go of the way, the way they're supposed to look, let go of the way I'm supposed to look, let go of the way I'm supposed to feel, you know, all that. That's a lot. There's it's just the layers of unplugging. Yeah. Nobody's looking for a perfect leader. No. Competent, yes. Perfect, no. I I don't want a perfect leader. 
Yeah, confidence like they can get. It's like it's not how many times you get knocked down; it's how many times you get back up. That's yeah. right. You just get get back up. Okay, let's try it again. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not kidding. So I watched the the I watched the cage fighting right the MMA. There's this guy. His name is Justin Gaethje, and <laughs> he just beats people up because he never goes. He gets down. He gets back up. He's and he wears them down. I watched the first three round, first two rounds. He gets killed in the last round. He takes them out because he's they get tired of hitting him. <laughs> it's almost like that. It's like man, that guy. It's like amazing. So it, it's, yeah. that's kind of like a metaphor for life. I, I mean, you can your talent goes a lot further with perseverance. Yeah. yeah to get back up and stick your face back in there and say, okay, let's try this again. Yeah. 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 It, it, the, it, I'm, I'm thinking about ways that people can start talking about it. Yep. You know, e even if you just start practicing, there's some phrases that'll actually start all these conversations. Like, Hey, I blew it. That's like a good phrase. Hey, I blew it. Yeah. Hey, I missed it. Tell me more. So yeah. they start arguing or they're pissed off about something. Well, tell me more. Like, like, get the whole thing out. Yeah. What, what, what am I not hearing? What, now, what, do you, what do you really need to say? And and the forensics come like when you think about it. If you really want to understand where somebody is, you really got to start asking them about the terms they're using because you, you're assuming you understand the same thing they're saying. Like, if I say I'm, you know, it's just really a shame that people are so stuck about this budget. You know, I, I can't believe it. Well, tell me what he means stuck, right? Because I don't know what he means by stuck. I might think I know, and then I go on with the conversation. He could mean three different things that I had never even considered. But by asking, what do you mean by stuck? They may tell me, well, this, this, and this, and this. Well, I didn't know those things. So now there's a different picture. Now I know what he means by stuck. I know what I mean by stuck. They come together. I have a better, more information to look through and to find possibility in more detail. I mean, the detail is everything because, you know, if somebody says this is messed up, you got to ask what tells you it's messed up because that gives you altitude. Because mm. if I just emotionally react, well, it's messed up. I, it could be inaccurate. It could be, it's very easy to take one thing like and catastrophize it and then go, go, polarize your whole team over it and it's something you could have handled by yourself with that person it may not have even been that big of a deal but to that person it's a big deal because it affects their agenda so it needs to be handled so there's there's all kinds of um possibility in there if i'm willing to check in if, rather than just react yeah 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 great some great con concrete stuff here. I, I see. I told you this conversation would be great. I I predicted it. <laughs> You're right. You're right. You're right, Chad. Right. So get a little dopamine. Give, give Chad a little dopamine. And if, you don't, anyway. <laughs> and if you don't think I'm right, I don't want to hear about it. Sure. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Thank you so much for the conversation and uh, for the insight, the stories, this is, uh, I've gotten a ton out of this. Thank you. Thank you, Chad. Good to be here. All right, bye-bye, everybody. Ciao, man.
Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. Also, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing this podcast with the people in your life that are looking for a new way to lead and to relate to others. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast.